Um, we are in our eighth day of prayer and fasting for those of who are keeping up with it. We haven't been doing our traditional one where we meet here at the church and we go along with a, we, we kind of link in with Church of the Highlands. You can still do that online uh, at here our time at 7 a.m. Some people are doing or you can do it anytime during the day. What we've done is we've been focusing more together on a prayer time where we can all come together. We found out that seven in the morning because of people going to work and people having to be places, it wasn't as effective to get people together to pray. So my thing is not to have 21 days of prayer and me pray, I'm going to. My prayer is us as a church to get together and cry out to the Lord First of all, here at the first of the year, and I believe this morning is a result of us crying out, saying, Lord, have your way. Lord, we want more of you in 2024. I need more of you. Less of me, which we'll see in a moment in, in the word. Less of me, more of you. And so fasting, all it does, it really is, it's just me breaking down and saying, I don't need this stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to abstain from some things. And we don't put a limit on that. Some people do it with food. Some people do it with social media. Some people do it with television. Whatever it is, it's captured your attention. It's a thing where you say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do that for this 21 days. And Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut myself off from the distraction of this world. And I'm going to reconnect through prayer and say, Lord, any of those times when they come up, you can actually, your heart will be drawn toward that. That's our desire. So today's day eight, we're going to keep on going and, uh, and thank the Lord as we do that. We're praying right now for the church and for us as a body. Um, last week, we started off a new series called First Things. And um, it's important because all of us remember first things. Like if I were to ask you, you know, who remembers their first school? that they went to. Many people are like, yeah, I remember my first school. So if I were to say, hey, anybody you remember, um, if you were to, to think about it, your first pet, you know, and if you haven't had a pet, we'll pray for you because either it was a, a hamster or a gerbil or a dog or a cat or something. So you remember your first pet. Uh, anybody here, you remember your first crush, you know, whether it's like, oh, doop, doop, you know, and, and you thought it was true love, guaranteed. Um, Anybody remember their first kiss? We're not going to ask anybody to share, so you're okay. Be careful. You know, not going to ask for testimonies on that. Um, you remember your first job? Anybody remember that? Their first car? Like you remember what it was, and you can tell the story of it. It's got. It took on a life of its own because it was your first car. Um, your first child. You know, back before the day of cell phones and everything, remember when you look at, when you had to take pictures with a camera, you had to go get them developed. All my firstborns in here, you got a lot of pictures taken of you. After it got a little later, like I'm number four in line, I kept looking like, where's all the pictures of me? <laughs> you know, because as you keep going, you're like, oh, you, you weren't the first. And as, after a while, you're like, oh, okay. But now thanks to these, you can take as many as you want. And so praise God. Uh, remember anybody, uh, you remember your first house? Your first one you lived in. I do because my mom still lives in the same one. I've, 60 years she's been there. She raised seven of us there. And I'm always 
I, I, I'm always thankful when I go there. I've always told you, if y'all hear Pastor Mark gets arrested for going into a house in Jacksonville, it's gonna be because I went into this house and just started going through the refrigerator because it's my mama's house. And so that one day that could happen. But so we also remember things that aren't so, you know, you know, so uh, that we don't like, we wish we could forget. Like, you know, some of us remember our first fight or our first, our first heartbreak or the first time we got a shot or the first time you made a beer less, you know? Now, I know when I say that, some of you, you don't have that first because you never did that. You're like, bees, what are those? You know, And we don't want to hear from you. By the way, don't raise your hand because for us C and less people, you know, we're, we're happy. C means see you later. <laughs> All you A people, we, we celebrate you, but, but we don't want to see, for, we don't hear. Anybody remember their first ticket? Oh, I forgot. Some of y'all may never got one of those before. <laughs> Some of us have got a few of those, a few more than we should have. Um, um, remember losing your first tooth, uh, getting stitches, or if you've ever broke a bone, you remember those. These are things you're like, oh, these hurt. Anybody remember? Oh, hopefully you didn't experience this one. Um, getting fired from a job. Ooh, that could be a rough one. Not saying I remember that as well, but I remember it well. Um, my fault, totally. Um, irresponsible at 17 years old. I can't believe I was that irresponsible, but I was. And we think of things, when we think of remembering first things, Jesus, we're in the series because of one thing. Jesus decided his first public message and his first sit down with his disciples, he gave his first sermon. And we've been in, we started last week, the Sermon on the Mount is what it's called. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's referenced in the Gospel of Luke. In Matthew 5, 1 and 2, it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came with him and he began to teach them. Now we're going to continue that journey. Last week we started it and we looked at the Beatitudes. But before we jump right into today's text, I just want to remind us of a few things in this sermon. One if you were to read through the whole sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, depending on your speed reading or the, the speed in which you read, it would take you anywhere from 9 to, say, 12 minutes. Okay? 12 minutes max. I'm going to go a little bit longer than that this morning just because I'm not Jesus, and I'm, and I'm going to expounding on what he said. Also... Uh, Jesus sat down, as we just read, they went up on a mountainside and Jesus sat down, which in that culture and in that tradition, that means he was a rabbi teaching. And in that culture and tradition, the rabbi would sit down and the people would remain standing. Now, I tried this last week and nobody stood up. So I'm not going to stay here long either. It's because... <laughs> Because y'all look at me, y'all gave me the same look like, what you expect us to do? <laughs> We're not standing up. <laughs> so, so anyhow, we, that's changed a little bit. But anyhow, so, so they would have been standing up and that's why he probably only went, you know, 10, 12 minutes. Like, I can, we can do that. And the main reason too is nobody would fall asleep that way. So that was an easy one. Also, when you think about this, this the main purpose of this 
the main purpose he gave the Sermon on the Mount was mainly for his disciples or his followers. It was given to them mainly. Now, there was a group of probably 100 or more people, a crowd there with him that got the benefit who were interested, but he had his disciples, his followers, those who were committed to him. He said, I've got to get your mind in the mindset of the kingdom of God. I need you to see what kingdom living looks like and what it is. And so he starts out and he tells them the very first thing, the Beatitudes, like I said, which we went over last week. I'm not going to go over them today, but you can go over them. He started with blessed are the poor in spirit. And he was saying to them, literally, blessed are you when you, are spirit, you realize you're spiritually bankrupt and you don't have the spiritual capital to connect with God and get to heaven. He said, man, you're blessed when you come to that place because we don't associate happy with being poor. We associate that, but it is happy for when you find the way. I can't spiritually, I can't physically get myself connected to God and connected to heaven. I've got to rely on him and his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. That's how we're able to do that. And so it's amazing that when you look at that, these, these were all, it started with poverty, blessed are the poor, and it ends with persecution. How many know you got to give somebody them right off the bat that this is what you're going to experience if you're going to follow me? And I think in the church today, we've got to be careful that it's not about Jesus, it's all about me and my happiness instead of Jesus, what do you want for me to do? What do you have for me to do? And so... As we look at that, those are found in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Today, we're going to pick up where they left off and each one builds on the other. In other words, if you end with persecution, you better have something to come after that. And so he does. Jesus, our text for the day is Matthew 5. It's just four verses. Matthew 5. If you got your Bibles, you can open them there. If not, Thanks to our incredible people back here, they're going to display them on the screen right there for you. Starting in verse 13, we're just going to read through this real quick, the four verses. Matthew 5, 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, you are the salt of the earth. Now, be careful how you say that because in today's culture and in today's slang, when you say somebody's salty... <laughs> It means you're kind of a little uh, aggravated. You're probably a little upset, like, hey. So, But this is not, we'll see in just a moment what, why Jesus used this metaphor when he was talking about us, this example. And so you're the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14, he uses another metaphor speaking about us. You are the light of the world. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. Look at there. Uh-huh. Say it with authority. You are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. Now, remember, there's all kind of lights. There's strobe lights. Woo, woo, you don't want to be one. There's disco lights. Woo, you know, there's, there's still this steady, beautiful light. You want to make sure you're the right light on that. But he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do, you, uh, neither do people light a lamp 
and put it under a bowl. A lampshade maybe, but not a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, before I jump into both of those metaphors, I I just wanna give us insight into what this is really all about. This is about influence and impact. Influence and impact. That's what, when Jesus goes into this, he's literally trying to get them to understand that you're gonna be an influencer. And I know in today's culture, because of social media and everything online, we have a lot of people that are clamoring for followers. Like they, they, want, they boast how many followers they have. And I wanna tell you, at the beginning of last year, in, in a time of prayer and just seeking the Lord, the Lord spoke very, very clearly to my heart. God does not want us to build a following. He wants us to build followers of him. That's what we're supposed to be after. Like, don't ever follow Mark Lenton. You follow, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That we're supposed to make followers of Jesus. And if I'm doing what I'm supposed to as pastor, you fall more in love with him, you stay more connected to him, you actually understand more about him, and you want to connect with him. It's, that's what Jesus wants. And so when we think about it, all of us have been influenced and continually influenced by the things around us, by the situations, what you watch, what you listen to, who you listen to. We get influenced, good or bad. And Jesus is saying to them in this, as he starts, comes right out of persecution, he has to get them solidified into, because if somebody just told you, hey, you're gonna be persecuted for righteousness sake. Matter of fact, in, in verses 10 through 12, it said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you people insult you. That word blessed means happy. Now, when I think of happiness, I'm not thinking of being insulted. Hey, could you insult me? I just want to feel that a little bit more. Could you, could you please be a little meaner? And could you put some more words to it? You know, you're just being too kind. Could you be more aggressive with your speech and your tone? And so he said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. You are falsely and, and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets. Our tendency when we're being persecuted is to either retreat or to retaliate. We call it today fight or flight, but we've got to be careful. Jesus is starting out and saying, Hey, I got to get you to see and think differently. I want you to think kingdom minded. I can't let you just think earthly minded. And so he's, he gives them this thing. I need you to be influencers, but for me, I need you to have an impact for the kingdom of God, not your own kingdom. They're still, like I said earlier, they're people trying to build their own kingdom instead of building the kingdom of God. Now, as we look at this, I want us to jump back real quick to verse 13. Now it says, just to remind you, we're gonna read through it again. You are the salt of the earth. Didn't say you will be, you're gonna get there. He said you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out 
and trampled underfoot. Now, let me just say, there are all kinds of salt in this world. And it's been discovered a lot more of them. And when Jesus said this to them, in our culture, from our lens, looking at what he said, when he said, you're the, you're the salt of the earth, salt, like, like salt. Because in our day and age and in our culture, salt is so plentiful. Like if you go into a grocery store, it's probably one of the cheapest things you're going to buy. It's plentiful. It's everywhere. Like, hey, you can get all, you can get the fancy kind, you can get the pink kind, you can get all kind of salt. But in that day, and when Jesus said that, salt had a much greater impact and was much more scarce. Like for them, for Jesus to say, you're the salt of the earth. This is where we look at the value of salt. When Jesus said, you have great, what he was saying is, when he told them this, he said, you have great worth. You're very valuable. And so when we first look at that and look at how valuable salt was back in that time, you got to think that, that there was a, a uh, place where the, where the Roman soldiers, part of their pay, would be given a portion of salt. It's like, hey, this is where, you, where they would get that because of how valuable it was. If somebody gave you salt for your pay, you would look at them and go, excuse me, <laughs> I got plenty of flavor <laughs> and I just need, I need, I need the real cheddar is what I need. I need the real money. I don't need the, this, this salt. But back in that day when they said that, it's really... Um, it's where we get the word when the Roman soldiers were, were paid that. It's where we get the word salary from. So when we talk about salary, it comes from this salt and this having it. And so when we think about it, it's, the, it's where we get the, the saying that you're not worth your salt. It's because you didn't do a, a good enough job and you wouldn't get it. And they would withhold part of their portion of what they would get. Um, or you're not, or when somebody says something, we've heard this saying before, maybe you haven't, maybe you have, but it says, yeah, when somebody said you should take that with a, which means, mm, yeah, don't, don't give too much into that. So when we look at this value, what Jesus was saying then before refrigerators and before this salt had two main functions and we're aware of, well, actually when I did my research on this, there's thousands of, of, it's antiseptic, it's you name it. There's all kinds of things. But in that culture, two main ones were for flavor and, preser and preservation. So with meat, when they, they, they didn't have this, so they would salt something down and it would keep for a much longer period of time. And so when we look at the value of this, thinking about, Think about sometimes right now, and I know in our culture today, salt is, I would just say for me personally, it's used way too much. Do you ever been to a restaurant and somebody, before they even taste their food, grabs the salt shaker? <laughs> and they start dousing, you're like, ooh, you might want to taste that. <laughs> or you've tasted something, like I'm going to go ahead and use a southern expression for y'all. Anybody went somewhere and got some grits and they weren't salted? You know instantly, as soon as you take that bite, like, mm, mm. and you know if you don't put salt in the water, 
It's hard to get it to work all the way through that stuff. It's like, whoa, how much do I got to put in? And you go, you're in danger of putting too much in, which in Southeast Georgia, that's, that's rarely a problem. You're like, oh, that's good. You know what I mean? Some of us, we do uh, intake too much of it, which can affect our health. However, for our, uh, for our series today, for what we're talking about, it is, it brings flavor and it brings a lasting flavor. So when Jesus said, you're salt of the earth, he said, you have great value. Not only are you bringing flavor to the world, but you're actually uh, persevering and you're preserving things that God wants to be preserved. But the, the important thing is this salt doesn't exist for itself. Like think of salt there by itself, unless it is mixed with something, all it does is sit there. It doesn't have a use. It's like when we, um, if we try to use it, if, if it just sits there, salt is no good on its own. It's just like us. It's, it's kind of obvious when you think about it. Salt is always used for something else. It's used for all types of things. Like if a salt shaker sits on there and uh, on the table and there's no meal, it just sits there. Like how many people, just curious, have a salt shaker on your stove somewhere, or somewhere near your stove? <laughs> it sits right there. You may not use it for a while, or you may use it a bunch, and you fill it back up. And how many put a little rice in there to keep, no, I'm going to keep the moisture out. <laughs> but but you, if it just sits there and it's never used, it, it, the value is not there. The same thing is in our lives as Christians. If all we do is sit by the stove or we sit in church and we gather together and we sit right here by it, but we don't allow the Lord to use us, the salt, the value that he's put on us, the flavor that he wants to bring to the earth, you bring flavor to this planet. You preserve things that God needs preserved. His word, his truth, his power. That's what he's called us to do. We're created to be salty. We're created to do that. Matter of fact, I love what John the Baptist said in John 3, 30 through 36. He said, I must decrease. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. He goes on to say, he has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are, the, we are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, talking about Jesus, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. For he is sent by God, he speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands and anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's judgment. In other words, Jesus came so that we could, just like he has the spirit of me without measure, he came to give us the spirit without measure, the ability to connect with him. And so when we think about 
this thing of salt and we think about this preservation and we think about this taste, um, John understood that he must decrease and Jesus must increase. We are salt and not the food. Jesus is the food. We're the salt. Jesus is the bread of life. We're the salt and we are, uh, we're just trying to preserve it and make it taste better. I just want to tell you, think about your world around you. Think about your family. Think about your job. Think about your friends without you there. What does that look like? It can create a big hole and it creates the, your, your taste goes away. I'm determined in my life to be more salty, y'all. Like I ain't salty enough. Like I'm salty, but I want to be, I, like salt makes you thirsty. When you get too much salt, you better have some water and you want to do, I want to make people thirsty for Jesus. I want to, they're like, what is wrong with that guy? That's what they'll say. I'll be like, hey, what is right with that guy? It's called being with Jesus, loving him, allowing him to love on me. Now that's, that's salt. We're going to dive into light real quick. In Matthew 5, 14, 15, and 16, he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. There again, in our culture, in our day, lights are everywhere. Like, like, remember, they didn't get to go and flip a switch. Like you go through your house, it's dark, you flip a switch. You can see everything now because light, number one, it reveals, it illuminates. You get to see things. Jesus wasn't talking about just physical light. He's talking about spiritual light as well. Lighting up what's on the inside, what matters most. So when in, in the gospel, when he calls them both salt and light, he was adding to their value and their worth. In that day, um, they had small lamps, oil lamps, and it, it would light and you would have to light it and then it would give light into a room. And it was amazing because the darker though it was, the more illumination it would provide. The same thing in our lives, in our culture. I don't have to go into great detail and tell you how dark our culture has gotten in its attitude and its thoughts and its treatment of people and its treatment of situations. We're celebrating tomorrow. Dr. Martin Luther King, we, that was a dark day in our history to treat people as if they weren't human and to think that God used a great man, a believer in Jesus and said, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. When I, when I read the Bible, this is not what this says. This is not right. And praise God, we're celebrating that tomorrow. This is what light do it. That's what, this is what light does. It lights up. And so in John 8, 12, that's what Jesus said. He spoke again to them and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, it's amazing because Jesus calls himself the light of the world in John, but he calls us the light of the world. At his, he called the disciples and us who were followers of his to that we're the light of the world. And I just want to lean into this for just a moment. That light, when he calls us to let our light shine, 
It's both in the church and in the community. Like we can never get so church folks, like for me, I'm always praying, Lord, how can we have a greater influence in this community? What are the needs of this community? And I love it because I have people in this church that do the same thing. I get texts all the time of reaching out and doing things for people that need help. And that's what we're supposed to do, to be that salt, to be that light, to bring flavor, to bring perseverance and, and, and to preserve people and to, to bring the knowledge of God and the love of God into their life. And so when we think about um, allowing this light to shine, we would never just sit here and keep it under a bushel. We've got to let it out and allow him to illuminate us. I love what Charles Spurgeon said um, in one of his sermons. He said, the Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. So let me ask you, when somebody's watching your life at work, at home, at play, they're looking, what are they reading? Is it a horror story? <laughs> is it a comedy? Is it fiction? Because some people have taken the Bible and made it so fictional and made it something they're like, they, they make it say, it says, they try to make it say something it doesn't, or they say less than what it says. Jesus is the word. And so when we look at lighting up our world and allowing people to read us, we wanna make sure that this one truth about light and that is that light mainly is a reflection. So when we, anybody ever gone out on a full moon and looked out and saw how at nighttime, it just seems like almost day because it's so lit up and it's so bright. For those of you who are wondering, on the 25th of January will be our first full moon. And when you think about it, many people think, oh, look how bright the moon is. But all of us know, or many of us know, all it's doing is reflecting. It's, it doesn't have any light. All it's doing is reflecting the light of the sun. And so it reflects off of the sun and it comes to us and it lights us up. And we go, wow, it's night and I can see. It's the same thing with us. We're to reflect the light of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. He is the light. And because of him, I and you, we are the light. It's not because we have the source ourselves; It's because we know the source. And just like the moon reflects the light, we also are called to reflect the light, the love, the truth of Jesus. And I'm always, uh, I, I always find it very encouraging when I go out and I do like to go out at night and I do like to, to, to stare at the stars and we look and we say, wow. I remember in the Amazon, we went on a mission trip and we were without any natural light. I mean, um, none of it, uh, excuse me, we had nothing but natural light. We had no man-made lights. They were, we're out there, there's no electricity, there's nowhere, we're in this forest. And when you look up at the sky, there's nothing hindering your eye from seeing how bright and beautiful the, the, there's not a, there wasn't any clouds and the stars felt like I could just reach out and touch them because of how bright they were. And it's that way when we begin to allow the true light of Jesus to light us up. 
his reflection, his truth in us, when we allow that to happen, it begins to cause people to begin to see and experience things otherwise they never would have. So with that being said, I can honestly say our world certainly could use a little more light. And God wants to use you and he wants to use me to bring that into this world. That's our purpose. That's our mission is to reflect him. When it says you and I are called to reflect, to reflect the light in the darkness of the world, it's called to let our light shine. Anybody remember the little, uh, the, the children's song? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of, I'm not a singer, y'all. Y'all know that. Y'all, I tell you that all the time. Y'all start appreciating Sam and the worship team when I try to do this. But when we think about this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let me say this, that my little light can only produce a little. But when we all join together, <laughs> we did this at, 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 uh, at, at um, our Christmas Eve party. We ended our Christmas Eve that Sunday night, the 17th, with lighting a candle. Everybody took one, and when you saw all the candles in here lit up, it caused a great light from each little candle provided so that a great light got to be seen. And I just want to challenge us this morning that it is our Heavenly Father's desire that His light would shine through us. And so as I close, and I, I just want to, I'm going to ask Sam to come up, and I know I've gone over just a few moments. I told you it'd be about 30. Jesus did it in 10 to 12. <laughs> I just want us to think about what's hampering our light from shining. What is it? Like Jesus said, you don't take a bowl, you don't take a basket and put it over. The truth is, though, there are some people there's a basket over, and the light's not getting out. And I believe this morning, God wants to do two things. He wants to, he wants to restore your saltiness. So let me say, when he said it's trampled underfoot, it was still salt. But what ended up happening was, it's like road salt. Road salt's still salt, but you ain't going to simply go get some and scoop it on your mashed potatoes or put it on your fries. You ain't going to scoop it in your salad, you know, you're like, still salt. What's hindering, I believe he wants the salty, and what's hindering from allowing his light? Has there been a hurt? Has it been a habit? Has it been a hang-up that's caused, that's kind of snuffed out, that's kind of stopped this light that God so desperately wants to release in us so he can release it through us, so we can reflect it well? And so I want us this morning to do a little inventory real quickly. Sam's going to lead us in a song. And just as we've been, you know, the scripture that comes to my mind that I've written down, I told you about, was in, um, in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, this is what Jesus, I mean, what Paul illuminated to what we're, what we're walking in right now. In Ephesians 5, um, verse 10, 
Going to 14, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of the evil of evil and darkness, instead expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that un, the ungodly do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And then it goes on to say, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Think of those days that, that Paul's writing this in and they were evil, but just as mankind has got evils found new ways, not new ways, but new ways to express it. And it says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And he goes on to say, talking about influence, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's his desire. So with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave him this and he knew one thing, I can't be Look, I can't cover the Beatitudes. Like I can't just use them as self-help. Like they're great things and they're great attitudes to have, but I've got to have the Holy Spirit that empowers me to be able to live and to, to do the gospel. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. This is what Jesus wanted and Paul even alluded to. We've got to have the power. So as Sam leads us, I want us to take just a moment and reflect, is there anything in your life, anything in my life, I'm reflecting as well, that's stopping, that's clogging, that's covering this light? Is there anything that I'm allowing that's taken some of the flavor out of my life and life's become dull, meaningless, it's become where I'm just going through the motions? God wants to add some saltiness to us and he wants to bring some light.